millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. An Erios production. Menopause is coming and the men have all left town. But I'm not giving up until I see that baby crown. Could be balding, bearded, shorter, tall, funny, smart, love basketball. Gay, straight, black, white, tiny eyes with an underbite. I just need sperm. Spermcast. Hey, welcome back to Spermcast. We have a really interesting guest today, but first, some updates. No, first, a thank you. No, continued thanks, actually, to everyone that's rated, reviewed, and subscribed to Spermcast on Apple Podcasts. If you haven't already left a review or rated Spermcast, please do so today, you turkey. It's the only thing that's going to draw attention to this podcast and take it from, you know, incredible podcast to incredible podcast with such a significant listenership that it actually makes money. Oh, man, wouldn't that be nice? My financial future is in your hands. Now, on to some updates. Well, it's been a week since last we spoke. Like, an up-and-down kind of week. Mostly a great week, but then there was one really bad down day. Anyway, I'd been feeling great. Healthy, energetic, not obsessing about fertility, and of course, it was IUI time. I always feel excited when it's time to inseminate. That time of the month when anything is possible, where everything I've ever wanted could finally happen. And yes, I know that along with these highs, a lot of lows can be right around the corner when it gets closer to pregnancy test time. But hey, might as well enjoy it while it lasts. Okay, so I started testing for ovulation with my OPK's ovulation predictor kits on Tuesday last week. I've also been using OvuSense consistently, that medical device that you wear up in your hoo-ha that measures your core body temperature, and I have to say, it's much more accurate than the basal body temperature readings I used to do orally every morning, and I don't have to worry about taking my temperature at the exact same time every morning. This is not an ad, people. I'm just saying I prefer it. Anyway, I peed on ovulation sticks all week long, multiple times a day, and took my temperature and saw no sign of ovulation. Then finally, Friday morning, I got a positive pee stick. That meant my LH was surging. In case you're a new listener, when your LH or luteinizing hormone surges, you will likely ovulate 24 to 36 hours later. So that afternoon, Friday afternoon, I went back for another ultrasound, this time with Dr. Winkler, to figure out the best time for insemination. Lining looks beautiful at 9.1. Oh yeah, you have a beautiful follicle. Oh, that's pretty. Yeah. 22. And is the cyst, do you see the cyst anywhere? It was on the right side. I don't think he saw it there last no. time either. Oh, okay. No. So perfect, perfect timing. So we can go and schedule it. Cool. Great. That's good. Thanks. Great. So I don't need to pee on any more sticks? <laughs> we scheduled the IUI for 7 a.m. the next morning, Saturday morning. I left that appointment feeling great. 22 millimeter follicle, 9 millimeter uterine lining, and that cyst was gone. It was time for IUI number four. Unmedicated, au natural, just me, my beautiful little egg, and millions of aggressive little sperm. I woke up at 6 a.m. and read my temperature on the OvuSense. I was thinking I would see a rise in temperature, but it was still low. And wait a minute, where was my cervical mucus? If it was ovulation time, shouldn't I have cervical mucus? 
Uh-oh, I've forgotten everything I learned from season two about how to get pregnant naturally. Have you forgotten too? Should I review? Yes? Okay, well, let me review the phases of the menstrual cycle and how your body temperature and cervical mucus can reflect them. The menstrual cycle starts at the beginning of your period. The first half of your 28-day cycle is the follicular phase. The second half is the luteal phase. During the follicular phase, the brain recruits a bunch of follicles to start growing and then chooses one to be the star of the show. This will be the egg that is ovulated around day 14. The uterus also keeps busy during the follicular phase. She's shedding her old uterine lining in the first week and then building up a new lining in the second week. Then, ovulation. The chosen follicle releases its golden egg and the egg begins its journey down the fallopian tube. If she's fertilized, great, she'll probably implant in a couple days. If not, she will, well, she'll shrivel up and disintegrate within 24 hours. Anyway, back when the egg was in the follicle, the follicle produced a lot of estrogen. A day or two before ovulation, that high estrogen creates cervical mucus, also known as egg white mucus because it's slippery and stretchy and looks like egg whites. And it also tastes great in an omelet. I'm sorry, I had to make that joke. Come on. When you see the cervical mucus, you're in your fertile window and right now is a great time to get it on with your partner if you're trying to conceive and if you have a partner. Okay, so then you have your second half of your menstrual cycle, your luteal phase, which prepares the uterus and body to accept a fertilized egg or to start the next menstrual cycle if pregnancy doesn't happen. Now let's talk about temperature. Your temperature will be low during your follicular phase and high during your luteal phase. So if you see that your temperature has gone up and stays up, you've definitely ovulated. What causes your temperature to go up? Progesterone, which is created by the empty follicle that the egg left behind. This is called the corpus luteum. I've talked about it before. Oh my God, this is too many details. I know, I know, I know. I'm sorry and you're probably not listening anymore. Fine, I'll get back to the story. The point is, I was worried because I had no cervical mucus. I was as dry as Oklahoma in the Dust Bowl. I'm sorry, I can't stop with the easy jokes today. Anyway, my temperature, it wasn't rising. But now that I think about it, it doesn't rise till after ovulation. And I knew I hadn't ovulated yet because I saw the ultrasound. Ugh, God, I wasted so much time stressing over this. I was convinced that my IUI was way too early and that my frozen spermies weren't going to be able to last long enough. Never mind all of that. Let's go to the IUI, shall we? When the doctor came in, she went over my donor's numbers with me. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Looks good. It's post-wash. The uh, concentration was 27 million per one ml, which is excellent. Okay. Total motility 48%, which is great. And the total moving sperm, which at the end of the day is the most important factor, wanted to be between 5 to 10 and it was 7. Okay. Good. Those numbers didn't seem quite right to me at the time, but I had other fish to fry. Bigger fish, bigger fish, or different fish. And my temperature hasn't gone up at all. But it usually would not go up so quickly. Okay. What brings it, I know. I know. What brings it up is when progesterone start going up. So if you've not ovulated yet, then hmm. it, it may go up today. It better. <laughs> yeah, well, since you mentioned progesterone, I don't. I've had low progesterone pretty much every month, and I'm wondering if I should either come back on Monday for a te progesterone test or to get on supplements now or what? Would I suggest Monday will be too soon because yeah, because the progesterone is still probably not going to be at its peak. Okay. So if you don't mind, call Monday. Just ask the nurses, and they'll ask Dr. Killen. Great. 
you're probably just going to put you on supplements, but there's okay. no downside to it. Well, is there a downside when it comes to IVF? Uh, if I'm starting IVF next month, will it affect anything? Not at all. Okay. The only thing that can affect it is if we put you on medications this month, like Clomid or hormones. Okay. Progesterone, not at all. Okay, cool. Hopefully, Great. you won't need IVF. That's what I'm hoping. I spoke to Dr. Kalen this morning and he suggested we just skip the blood test and just start taking the progesterone right away. So I went up to Encino and I bought 10 days worth, 121 bucks. Oh, and I was thinking about going for a small hike after this. Is that fine? Yeah, absolutely. As long as you're not, it's not like a workout hike. Okay. That you like increase your body temperature a lot, you know, when you work out and your heart rate is very high. If you're just kind of a nice hike, absolutely. And is that for like any day afterwards or just today? Because um, usually I would jog. You a jogger? I've been, I've been jogging lately. Oh. I'm not a jogger, but I've been trying to jog a few times a week. Um, you know, there is a correlation only for IVF, not uh-huh. for IUIs, of intense exercise decreasing the chances of success. Oh. Now, jogging, how much do you jog? Like 20 minutes? 20 minutes, two or three like times two a miles week. Two or, miles, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's fine. You yeah. know, if you were doing IVF before, every trust will tell you no, but for this, it's absolutely fine. Yeah. All right. Then I stopped bugging her and let her do the IUI. Oh, your lining looks beautiful. Yeah, it's still there. That's probably why your temperature didn't go up yet. In case you didn't hear that, she said my lining looks beautiful and the egg is still there. I haven't ovulated yet, but I'm close. Excellent. So it's 22.8. It's looking great. And then your lining. Lining looks also great. Awesome. Perfect. We are good. Cool. Okay. So, wow, it's so easy to get into your cervix. All done. I'm sorry, did you hear that? She said, wow, it's so easy to get into your cervix. (laughs) Wow. You did that already? Yeah. Let me show you very quickly. And now she starts another ultrasound so we can see what the sperm looks like inside the uterus. And here you can see, with a quick scan, you can see, sometimes you see, oh, see, you see how nicely you can see it? Yeah. That you can actually see, remember how the lining and you see this fluid here? Yes. That's the sperm that went in and sometimes you can actually see it flowing. It's very neat. Now, if you want to see the sperm in my uterus and watch the whole IUI, you can see the whole video on my Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash spermcast. Great. So we'll have you stay here for about 15 minutes. Cool. Awesome. Does this one tilt? The one up, it doesn't matter, I don't care. Um, no, it tilts, it's a voodoo about what? tilt. I, I know, if it's already in there. Want. I don't care. If you think it's voodoo, I think it's voodoo. Yeah, I mean, some women really read about it and they're like, okay, if it makes you feel better. Well, it makes sense good. for the ICI a little, and maybe in my, but you, it's already in my uterus. Correct. Yeah, <sighs> that doesn't make any difference. This probably doesn't go that way. <laughs> Thank you, okay. But, you know, we still do it because some women still believe in it and like this. Makes you a little bit more confident about it than yes. Do you want me to? I mean, well, I mean, it doesn't hurt. Yeah, exactly. No, no, I mean, we definitely, listen, it really doesn't matter. So, it doesn't hurt for sure. It's fun. It's an extra yeah. bit. 
Thank you. No, good luck with everything. Thanks. Will someone come back in in 15? 15? Yes. Yeah, okay, thanks, because yes. I'll fall asleep and be here no. for hours. <laughs> when the nurse came back, she knocked on the door, opened it, told me to get dressed, and left. And then I remembered that sperm count didn't seem great. I walked over to the counter to take a look at the analysis report. Seven million? Excuse me? For my first IUI, vial number one had 30 million. Vial number two had 20 million. For my second IUI, 12 million. For my third IUI, 16 million. And now a measly seven million? This is bullshit. Everything was all lined up. Everything was perfect. My egg was beautiful. My uterine lining was thick. And now this whole IUI could be a wash? I had to get out of there. I said goodbye to the Saturday staff and walked outside. I was going to go hiking, but, you know, I was in a rage. And it was also 7.30 in the morning, and actually it was pretty cold out, and I was kind of afraid of getting eaten by mountain lions up in Malibu Canyon. So I decided to go to a cafe and, and write about my feelings. As I sat in the cafe, I started to get more and more upset. What the fuck was going on with my donor? Seven million is not good enough. Seven million is outside the acceptable range for Seattle Sperm Bank. And now I'm going to have to have Dr. Kalin or Dr. Winkler fill out forms for Seattle Sperm Bank so that I can get my money back for that crappy bottle of sperm. <clears throat> you know what? I'm calling Seattle Sperm Bank right now. I am going to wring their necks. They're not going to get away with this. Oh, hi. Good morning. I had an IUI on Saturday morning with a vial from you guys, and the sperm count wasn't very high. Oh. Yeah. It was, um... Okay. It was 7 million. I can email you our quality report for your clinic to complete and send back to us. Okay. Sorry to hear that. So, yeah, there's contact information on there to send it back to, and then our lab supervisor will review it. And I just want to make sure I'm looking at the right numbers. So when it says total modal concentration, that's the number we're talking about, right? Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah, we'll, we'll review it and see how we can compensate you after, after okay. we take a look at that. Okay. Thanks very much. You're welcome. Bye-bye. She was nice, and now I know I'm not crazy. Seven million is low. So I feel a little bit better. Or should I feel worse? I don't know. At least I know that there are 7 million sperms swimming around in me right now. And that I can probably get my money back if I don't get pregnant. Okay, back to Saturday where I was feeling so shitty. As the day went on, I got more and more emotional. I sat in my backyard trying to write and I just, I kept crying. Why was I so sad exactly? And how could I have gone from being so happy the day before for like a couple weeks to being so sad overnight? Well, I think I know why because I had done it again. I'd accidentally, subconsciously let myself create another little fantasy. I secretly allowed myself to think this was the month, even though this was supposed to be a low stakes, no big deal, shot in the dark, last ditch effort, hail Mary before I go to IVF kind of cycle. <sighs> it wasn't supposed to be a big deal, except everything had been perfect. I was healthier than ever, full of energy, my follicle was busting at the seams, my uterine lining was thick and cozy, the stars had aligned. But just like my Tinder date with John, the aerospace engineer the week before, my little fantasy bubble that I didn't even know I'd created had burst. No increase in temperature, no cervical mucus, and lame sperm. I was really feeling hopeless. I gave up, and I wrote this. 
It's good, it's fine. Go ahead, temper my expectations now, please, before it's too late. Because with my good health, positive mood, energy, and the funny Tinder date from last week making me feel like a fertility goddess, I need to check my optimism. Tell me it won't work. Tell me it's impossible. Tell me to prepare my mind for IVF so that when I get that big fat negative, I'm okay and ready to spend all of my parents' money that I feel so guilty about taking. Soften the blow, please. Go right ahead. Wow, clearly I wasn't feeling well. Instead of going over to Amanda's to swim in her new pool, I went for a hike. Came home, made some dinner, and watched three episodes of Love Island. I'd never heard of this trash before, but it was trash. Thankfully, it did the trick. I woke up feeling not sick to my stomach and not sick in the head. Just normal. And now that I remember that progesterone goes up after you ovulate, I don't feel that worried about the timing of everything. So now... We just relax, stay healthy, ignore any possible pregnancy symptoms, and wait patiently. To help us pass the time, let's move on to our interview. I am so lucky to have gotten to meet with today's wonderful guest. Her name is Pamela Hirsch. Hello. Thank you for having me here. We're also here with Amanda. Hi, everyone. (laughs) She's texting. Just one quick text. (laughs) Don't got to call it out. Pamela is the co-founder of BabyQuest Foundation, which provides financial assistance to those who can't afford the high cost of procedures such as egg and sperm donation, embryo donation, egg freezing, artificial insemination, in vitro fertilization, and gestational surrogacy. We have been very fortunate that since 2012, we've given out over $1.8 million and 107 grants and have produced 78 babies and counting. Pamela was inspired to start BabyQuest Foundation after her own daughter's experience with IVF. I was in a completely different area of a profession, owner of a large educational test prep company, and I had sold that, or my portion of it, um, in 2001. Uh And our younger daughter was 28 at the time and wanted to start having a family with her husband and miscarriage, didn't think much about it. Uh Another miscarriage, went to a specialist, a lot of uh, Clomid, many IUIs, moved on to IVF, had three or four, can't remember, IVFs, pregnant each time, miscarried at eight or nine weeks after hearing the heartbeat. And it was a nightmare that can encompass a whole family. I mean, I can remember every place where I was when she would call and say it was another miscarriage. Mm. And finally, we were very fortunate to be able to say, you need to hire a surrogate. I have a quick question about the IVF. How come, why wasn't it working? It wasn't working because she discovered by going to a second doctor, which is a really smart thing to do after you've had so many losses and you just need another pair of eyes or another opinion. And she went to a second specialist at our encouragement and discovered that she has a uterus that's sharply divided into two parts, which is called a bicorneate uterus. And we've heard about this last week. We literally just heard about this last week from our, our last guest. And sometimes you can get around that and many times you can't because her particular case was such that both sides of the uterus was so were so small uh-huh. that they just the blood supply and the room there would not have allowed an embryo or fetus to grow uh-huh. much more than probably in her case it was nine weeks wow. and well, that's so just to remind amanda and the mm-hmm. listener so that it's like the uterus is like it's heart shaped and how common is that i don't know and i'll look it up 
<laughs> I, I'm sure you will. According to Healthline, about 3% of women are born with a defect in the size, shape, or structure of their uterus, and a bicorneate uterus is one of the most common types of uterine irregularities. Wow. And sometimes you can get around it if one side is big enough, uh -huh. and probably you never would even know that if you had a successful pregnancy. Yeah. But in her case, it didn't work. How and come the doctor couldn't see that? Don't ask. Okay, I won't ask. <laughs> I won't ask. I wonder how obvious it is when you have an ultrasound, it, though. It, she apparently needed an MRI. And wow. We finally reached a point where it's not good to look back because it's very negative. Okay. And she just said, once her surrogate was pregnant, she just said, we can't look backwards mm -hmm. and be negative. We have to look forward and anticipate because I'm going to have a baby. Yeah. And she did. In fact, she has two children, nine and a six-year-old, mm -hmm. both girls, and each carried by a different surrogate. Mm -hmm. And she now co-owns a surrogacy agency in wow. Los Angeles called Abundant Beginnings. So between the charity that was started because of her, actually, and her surrogacy agency, there's been a lot that has come from one person's infertility. Oh my goodness. That's incredible. You also have uh, another daughter. Yes. Who had two babies of her own. No, no fertility problems? I can't um, remember. IVF with the first one. Oh, okay. And a fortunate, wonderful surprise, thinking she had the flu two years later oh, with goodness. the second. And that does happen sometime. In wow. fact, we recently had, you know, from BabyQuest, several of our recipients who underwent IVF and had a child because of a grant have since had spontaneous or natural pregnancies and delivered a second child. So it does happen. Your body kind of gets used to, hmm, this is what it's like to be pregnant, and it happens. So yeah. wow. not to too many of our recipients, but I know two of them recently that that's happened to. That's incredible. Mm -hmm. and so Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You were on, the, on, the, on your website, it said... Um, you looked at your grandchildren, you said if you weren't able to afford IVF, you wouldn't have these little... That's, that's what bothered me, because after the first granddaughter was born, well, actually, the one daughter through IVF, which mm -hmm. worked very easily, and you think, oh, IVF works all the time, first yeah. time, <laughs> whatever, never any problems. But then when the second daughter had turned to gestational surrogacy, um, after the first granddaughter, that granddaughter was born, I looked at her and I thought, what do you do if you're a family and you're hardworking and you both work and you save and save and save and just um, IVF alone is twelve to $16,000 plus medications and surrogacy is with an agency as well into the hundreds of thousand. What do you do if you don't have the funds? And I mentioned to my daughter, actually, I think I'm going to start a foundation or a charity to help people. And her first reaction was, well, that's such a good idea that I know a lot of other people are doing it. So you're late to the game. Really? And 
that wasn't true. Oh. I started to do the research, and there were a few charities, and there still are a few, but I found problems or issues of ways that I wanted to do it differently. Um, I wanted to make sure that we gave awards to same-sex couples, which I couldn't find available at that time. I wanted to make sure that the couples who we awarded grants to did not have to repay them. They weren't loans. They were grants. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to make sure that nobody had to do any fundraising for us in order to be qualified to get a grant. Sure, we love when they say nice things about us afterwards, <laughs> mm -hmm. but we don't expect anything in return and yeah. yet other than gratitude. And being open about their fertility because one of the main principles of BabyQuest is that anybody who applies has to sign a media release saying mm -hmm. he or she will be candid about their fertility issues. Um, if somebody calls and says, we are from a culture that will not allow us to be open about this, we can't tell our parents, I'm sorry. It just goes against what we feel is important. Mm -hmm. And we just feel that in addition to giving money, it's important to show to the world that this is a large community of men and women who are struggling with infertility, mm -hmm. and they should not be struggling alone. So it's important for our recipients to be open. And I agree. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, definitely. <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty shy and I won't talk about any of my own personal stuff. <laughs> Just kidding. That's all I do on this oh. podcast. <laughs> yeah. Molly is an open book. I'm a little too open. <laughs> the binding is just broken. <laughs> Well, better to be that way, as I said, then. But it's been really rewarding for me because so many women have told me their stories and told me how much the, they're relating to me and, and mm -hmm. uh, feeling less alone because of the podcast. So it's just, um, it's been really great. And, I, and it's just sh shocking to me because I'm, it's so easy for me to talk because I, I just overshare. But um, I, I'm so surprised that I feel so bad for anybody that can't talk about this stuff. I do too. Yeah. And it's in the past has been a stigma of what is wrong with a woman if she can't have children. And the irony is, at least in 40% of the cases, it can be a male factor in fertility yeah. as well. Yeah. And no matter what, there's just this stigma or has been the stigma to infertility and it shouldn't be there. Yeah. And by opening up the conversation, having a dialogue about the different issues, hopefully it will encourage more people to share and share their feelings and share their emotions and not be ashamed of the fact that they need assistance, physical intervention to have a child. Yeah. Okay, so then for my listeners and for me, <laughs> how do we apply for this grant? It's, it's, it's <laughs> not that difficult. Um, we have a website, babyquestfoundation.org, mm -hmm. and you go into the website and we tell people the most important thing to do is to do your homework. You know, when you apply to college, for example, you study the different majors that might exist there, the finances, the living conditions. When you apply for a job, if you really are smart about it, you look into the company, you learn about it, so you don't go into the interview not knowing anything. Like, well, what does your company do? And that's what we advise to people who want to apply. Look at the website look at some of the recipients, read their stories, and then print the application, fill it out. It has a lot of information on it, personal history, um, 
educational history, professional history, medical history, fertility history. Three pages need to be filled out by your doctor. It needs to be a fertility specialist. There is a $50 fee. We accept applications twice a year. The next time, coming up soon, uh, September 5th. September 5th, everybody. (laughs) Go to the website right now if you want to apply for this grant. And after September 5th, this is what happens. We do not do anything beforehand before September 5th. But after that, we look at each application. There are various committees that look at it. People who look at the financial aspects, people who look at the professional, people who look just at the overall stories and read that. And then after different committees uh, pats or look through the different applications, we, they're looked at by the doctors. We have a team of several doctors. They're actually around the country, one in Seattle, one in Dallas, one in New York, and one in Southern California. Who I know. Who you know. Oh, is, is that the connection? <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, oh, I should wonderful. have said that. I heard about Pamela through Dr. Kalen. Oh, right. that's wonderful. Right. And he's on the board? One of our board members, yes. Yeah. And each one of the doctors looks at the medical information. Each doctor receives the same medical information on each one of the applicants, and it is difficult. This is probably one of the most difficult parts of having this charity because we don't have enough money to give to everybody. And I wish we were a bank, but we aren't. And we have a certain amount of money. I think we've given up to at least... Eighty to $90,000 each grant cycle, which wow. means twice a year. But it can't be given to one person. We try to divide it amongst eight to 10 recipients, and we still leave out many, many, many recipients who are deserving. And Oy, we I allow- I can't imagine pe- having to make that kind of decision. It's very, very difficult. Yeah. And we allow people to apply three times it's it's just difficult, but we try to to be very respectful of diversity, geographic diversity. Not everybody can come from California or a certain area. We try to be diverse about the procedures. We want to make sure that we fund somebody who needs donor eggs. We want to make sure we fund maybe somebody who needs egg or um, or sperm donation, somebody who wants to do embryo donation, somebody wants a frozen embryo transfer. Mm-hmm. We try to be very diverse. We t- want to make sure that we include a same-sex couple at least every other time in, in percentage to the population. Mm-hmm. We One thing, we give grants to those who have been in the military, both past or current, to try to do a military grant each time. We try to help those who have lost their fertility through cancer, mm-hmm. um, male or female. We try to do that at least once a year. So it's it's a real chess game of trying to be fair and equitable and try to pick the people who have the best chance at pregnancy, and it's difficult. Yeah. What are some of the factors that you look at as far as chances of a successful fertility treatment? That we leave up to the doctors. We may love somebody Uh, We may think they wrote the best letter in the world, but if the doctors say to us, this person has had three IVFs and or four IVFs, nothing has been successful. She has a diminished ovarian reserve. She wants to use her own eggs. There's just not a great possibility of this. That's not a great candidate. Okay. So 
not that I'm trying to figure out how I can have my best shot at this grant <laughs> because I also feel I feel guilty about even applying because I haven't even tried IVF yet. Do you give grants to people who are just starting their journey who aren't particularly having fertility issues who who just can't afford it? On occasion, yes. Many times looking at the medical forms, and this is not a given, this is not always true, but many of the doctors will say, well, they should try one IUI first, Mm -hmm. which isn't that costly. Unfortunately, sometimes the results are not as good as an IVF. And the patient may say, well, I don't want to put $2,000 or 1500 into that because that takes 1500 away from what I'm trying to save for, which is IVF, which will probably be more successful, has a better percentage rate of, of being successful. Do you know what that rate is, by the way? I can't get a clear answer from the internet or anyone. It varies. It's all over the I, place. Yes. What we usually like to do and what we advise people to do is when you're choosing a clinic, there are a lot of websites that will say, here's the state of California. These are the clinics that have the best success rates for women under 35, for women over 35. And sometimes the statistics are not regulated Mm -hmm. as well, and I'm not an expert in this at all, but choosing a good clinic, a clinic that has a great embryologist Mm -hmm. is really important. And choosing a clinic that has done a lot of transfers. Okay, so I was going to do a lot of great research here and tell you where you could look and find your fertility clinic to find out what their stats were, to find out if they had great embryologists. But my computer crashed and I lost about eight hours of work. (laughs) Oh, no big deal. Everything's great. I am feeling on top of the world. All I can tell you is that the CDC does have information on all the clinics and that there's another company or organization called SART.org, the Society of Assisted Reproductive Technology, and they have a lot of stats on different fertility clinics. Also, you can ask your clinic for their most recent results and talk to them about their lab. But anyway, sorry I couldn't give you more info today. Maybe next week. I think it's important for patients to do things like that to say, I need to know your success record rate, yeah. um, your live birth rate. Talk to me about your embryologist. Do you send the embryos out to a different lab? Is it here? Is yeah. it in-house? Uh, this might not be for people in Southern California, but people in a state where there's one clinic in the whole state or where their choices are very slim as far as options of where to go. We just tell people to do their research. Yeah. Just like doing research on BabyQuest to know what you're applying for. Do your research on your doctor as well and find the right person for you. And sometimes you may find a doctor who's wonderful, but the personalities just don't go and you need to feel comfortable. Yeah. And I told her how much I love Dr. Kalin and how he told me all about his embryologist and how he loves his embryologist. And I told her about my frozen eggs. And, and then I asked her more stuff about the grant. So I don't have to be $150,000 in debt to get a grant. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> we look at a lot of different factors. Yeah. There are some people, some women, for example, who may have a condition, block tubes, something, mm-hmm. and... IUI is just not a good solution. Mm -hmm. They, for example, I really didn't know that much about it at the time, but with my older daughter and her child through IVF is 16, so it's been a long time and there've been a lot of changes in the field since then. But from what I remember, she, like my other daughter, produced so many eggs that they were worried about 
hyperstimulation with an IUI, and they went directly to IVF. So oh, wow. I know, again, I am not a doctor, but there are cases where people just go to IVF, and if they don't have the money to do that and they apply, mm-hmm. we can't say, well, yeah. you should try IUI first because it's not yeah. an option for them. Well, I've just done the math because I was filling out the, the your information for the grant, uh-huh. and I am shocked to learn that I've already spent 10300 bucks on IUIs and wow. HSG mm-hmm. and um, blood the, tests and things medication. That aren't sh- Holy mm-hmm. cow. So what is covered by your insurance? None of, none of it. None of it. Mm-mm. Unless I'm pregnant, then they'll cover pregnancy stuff. <laughs> many policies, I don't know about yours, but many policies will cover up to the diagnosis. Um, some policies do cover the testing. Mm. the blood test and whatever, until the doctor says to you, this is how many follicles you have, but you don't have enough, or mm. you know, you have blocked tubes, right. and this is not going to work, so you need IVF. We find that many insurance company policies cover up to the diagnosis, mm. and then they leave you there, and that's it. Well, but they know, all vary. I don't think I have a specific infertility diagnosis. I don't think that I, I think I'm okay. I've I just don't have the resources to keep going because I'm getting a sperm donor and yeah, he just thinks it'll be less costly for me to go straight to IVF. Right. right. I'm that doing another sense. IUI tomorrow or the next day. Oh, though. you are? Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, because so after I had a chemical pregnancy last month oh. and yeah, it's like good news and terrible news. It was great news for a day. <laughs> and it shows it can happen. It shows it can happen. That was nice. <laughs> yeah. But because of that, my body kind of had to reset. So in order to do IVF, you can't, can't start when your body's, when your hormones aren't in the right, not at the right levels. And I also had a cyst. And so he said, let's not do anything this month or let's let your body recalibrate this month and then we can start IVF next month. And I said, all right, well, can you just throw some sperm in there in the meantime? <laughs> Because I had a couple, I have two vials left from this uh, sperm donor. So that's, we're just going to throw a vial in and see what happens. Why not? <laughs> right. Make it a party. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I think it's a, I think it's a good month to do an IUI and it's, we're doing it unmedicated this time. My other three had medications and we're just seeing what happens. So if it doesn't work, I'm probably going to jump straight into IVF. And I know that doesn't make it in time for your deadline and your choices. And I, my parents are going to help me out with the first one. So that's, uh, you know, incredibly, incredibly nice and hard <laughs> hard for me to wrap my mind around but they're totally down with it that's so, nice yeah. well and and that's very common because it's very interesting that you said that when our daughter decided to have a second child mm-hmm. I think Zoe was about three mm-hmm. even having had the diagnosis from two doctors saying there is no way you can carry your own child she felt so guilty because she knew she was asking for help again and she didn't ask we oh. offered oh. and she even went to the high risk doctor again just saying well can't i try and basically we said because it's a health risk to you no you're not trying and the doctor said that too but mm-hmm. i understand how you feel about oh. it and it's really hard. We it's, don't want to take our parents' from, money. But from your parents' perspective, which is what I'm yeah. talking about, I couldn't ever think of a better way to, a privilege to be able to help our daughter and son-in-law than what we did. Yeah. So uh, 
believe me, your parents are more than willing to do it. Yeah. And yeah. it's not like they're not getting anything out of the yes, deal. I exactly. mean, they wind up with the grandchild <laughs> that they'd be crazy about. And maybe I'll have to move back in <laughs> so oh, yeah. they could get me back too. Win-win. <laughs> I'm coming, mom and dad. <laughs> no, don't, don't think you're taking from them. It's true, yeah, but be grateful. Yeah. And, and we're just fortunate that our whole family could rally around them. And, and I know they're... Yeah they're very very appreciative yeah. like you would be yeah what about um back to the but what's it called the bicorniate bicorniate yeah. um what about surgery for that is that did she, she try was that? told no again i don't know why but i think it's because i have heard of some operations but i think the issue with her was it was bone not <gasps> tissue wow. and i don't know yeah. it just was not operable I did. I did read about it last week after our last guest, and she. There are surgeries, but it's like an open stomach, uh, abdomen, like a C-section almost. That that's where they would cut you, and the recovery is a few months, and you definitely can't try to have a baby for a while. And then it's suggested that you do a C-section when you have the baby. So she didn't do any of the surgeries. No. no. Okay. I mean, yeah. she had surgery, just like what you said for a polyp. That oh yeah. Before even moving to surrogacy yeah. there were always issues with polyps or blood clots or i'm shocked that they they're going in for a surgery and for polyps i'm sorry i'm not going back to the past no more past it's over it's done right. we're moving forward we're happy we have grandchildren right <laughs> exactly <laughs> never mind exactly <laughs> um where do you get the money from? Who gives you guys who gives money to this foundation? A lot of different ways. First of all, um individuals mm -hmm. who donate through our website, people who help and say, I'm having a birthday party, I'd rather have my friends donate, people who have babies and say, in lieu of gifts, we had such a hard time um, getting to this point, but we were fortunate enough to have the financial wherewithal, and we want our friends to pay it forward and, and give a donation. And we oh, set up special great. pages, for the, dedicated pages for that different companies. We have some amazing corporate partners, some of the pharmaceutical companies who help us with medications, which are extremely costly. Yes, they are. And, <laughs> as you know, partners, different women's groups um, who are corporate partners, a stroller company, a maternal wellness company called Robin, which is a partner, a group of restaurants, mostly in New York. There's one here called um, By Chloe, Vegan mm -hmm. Restaurants, that help us it. out um just a lot of it's different fertility clinics just a lot of different places people who find out about us who've been very fortunate to have their own difficulties yet have the money to have ivf or surrogacy yeah. they've approached us um and given us grants given us money so it's a struggle always mm -hmm. uh we do some galas they're definitely we call them galas i call them mini galas mm -hmm. because they're not that big mm -hmm. but they're fun and we've done them in new york and los angeles and just the generosity of people who run marathons for us do hikes for us um do hikes for you yeah what does a group, that mean? like a recipient a group of recipients here uh -huh. in, in la several years ago we the recipients organized a hike up in Mulholland, one of the oh. trails, and we all met there and we hiked together oh, and so took fun. a picture. And so you've met a, you've met a lot of these babies, huh? I have met the babies in Southern California. In yeah. fact, this Saturday, I'm having one of 
usually our annual get-together where the couples who we've been able to award grants to come over and they meet each other's babies and we see how the babies have grown and some of them are toddlers and it's amazing. So we've had that in Southern California. We had the same thing in Columbus, Ohio, almost two years ago. We had the same thing in Philadelphia and we're doing it again in Philadelphia in October. We have at least seven recipients there and there happens to be a medical conference in Philadelphia in October that I'm attending. And because of that, we'll have another get together there. So I feel like I've met so many of the hundreds and seven applicants or recipients, even though they live around all around the country. It's by email, it's by Skype. Uh, It's their warmth and their gratitude and their appreciation that really makes them almost friends. And sure, there are some that kind of fall off and don't communicate, many who are not successful, and even a few who are. But it's a very warm community. So after you award the grants, how closely does the foundation stay in touch during the process? During and after. I still am in pretty close contact with some of the families who, whose children are now five years old. It's amazing. Um, a couple of years ago, one of the recipients, the, actually one of the first recipients from March of 2012, she and I were asked to be on The View at least three years ago. And we went to New York. Uh, we were on The View together. Her little boy was on there. He, I think, is starting kindergarten or first grade now. She has a second child from an embryo, a frozen transfer. Mm -hmm. Um, We're still in contact. She's in Nevada. A lot of it depends on how communicative the actual person is. Some people are on email or Facebook all the time, some never. But um, we pick people on paper or sometimes with a Skype interview. And it is amazing the warmth and just the type of people that we've been able to pick. Um, We've been very fortunate with that. They've just been so loyal to BabyQuest after receiving a grant. Wow. Have you guys awarded any um, grants to single parents? Yes. Not as many. I will (laughs) say that we've done a few egg freezing grants to single women. We did a grant to, believe it or not, a teenager. When I first opened the application, I think she was 12 or 13. I'm like, "Um, no, she doesn't want to get pregnant, I hope. She had a rare condition, having diminished ovarian reserve, and her ovaries were all twisted, and she needed to have her eggs um, retrieved so that in the future, in many years, Mm -hmm. she can have them fertilized when she's, you know, meets a partner and can have a child. So she was preserving her fertility for the future. Two or three other women who we've granted awards to for egg freezing. Single woman, yes, single woman in New York who needed um, egg and sperm donation. Many, many miscarriages. Not as many singles, definitely. But yes, we do accept don't worry, I'll get in there. <laughs> and, I'm just and, kidding. No pressure. No, no. pressure. <laughs> and one of the and one of the other things that we have done, um, you had mentioned. Well, I'm really not demonstrating infertility. Um, we have granted awards to couples or to people who who have to have IVF with genetic testing because, for example. 
they both are carriers of a disease, such as we have a couple who's carrier, each is a carrier for cystic fibrosis, mm-hmm. and the chances that they will pass it on, I don't know what the percentage is, but it's there one is in four. a chance, <laughs> probably. I know this because I was just seeing a guy oh. <laughs> who is also now, I just found out, is also a carrier of CF, and I am too. And so now we can't, you can't. know, <laughs> not that we were going to. <laughs> is this the, the computer guy? Or what is computer? Doesn't he I do don't something remember. like a software engineer? No, oh. I can't talk about it on the on here. <laughs> we we gave a grant for this because they have to have IVF, not because of infertility necessarily, um, but they need to have IVF because the embryos have to be tested, genetically tested, so that they don't transfer an embryo that would give them a child with cystic fibrosis. Yeah, yeah. That's what I told the guy. I said, sorry, dude, if you want to have my babies, you're going to have to pay for IVF. <laughs> and, and genetic testing. The PGS, yes, yeah. yes, yes. Yes, all of it. So he's thinking about it. I just met him last week. Oh. <laughs> That's a heavy thing to give to somebody. Who you just... <laughs> it's fun to talk about these things. Like I said, I'm an overshare. <laughs> wow. I think I hit all the things that I wanted to talk about. Amanda, do you have any other questions about it? Oh, gee. I mean, no other questions other than to say, like, amazing what you're doing and what you've done. Oh, how many um, years have you been doing this now? We gave the first grant March 2012. Okay, wow. And there were two people, two grants. One to a woman in Cincinnati who... I think we gave a very small amount of money for an IUI oh, wow. that was not successful, and mm-hmm. to the other woman in Nevada who has the two boys now. Um, and it's just grown. We've had lots of sets of twins in the 78 babies. We had, believe it or not, a set of triplets <gasps> born in July to a woman in Savannah, Georgia. Quick, quick question. And, yes. Is that because they did a transfer of three? And they No. They, it was an egg donation uh-huh. situation, and from what I remember, they put in two embryos, one split into Get identical twins, and the crazy. other one took, and she has three uh, boys. Oh, oh my and, God. And her husband was deployed in Korea oh my God. when the babies were due. Fortunately, he got to come home. She, I don't think I have ever work with a woman who had an easier pregnancy single double whatever this woman did not complain we talked quite a bit during the pregnancy and it was just breeze she breezed through it and she was supposed to be have them delivered on august 1st and i think on july 17th she was like 36 weeks Mm -hmm. with triplets and she went into labor and they were born within like five minutes one after another after another Oh boys and the and, they, all and they no and they were in the NICU unit for a very short number like 2 weeks maybe it was the most amazingly successful situation considering yeah. the risks of a twin let alone a triplet wow. pregnancy it was amazing that's really wild yes, yes it was <laughs> <laughs> we've had other situations of a woman actually who was living here in LA the family has since moved to Florida but she went into labor at 20 weeks and went into the hospital and they kept her with stopped the contractions they kept her going on complete bed rest for I believe 
Well, she got to go home after about five weeks. At 31 weeks, she delivered twins. They had to stay in the hospital for quite a while. They're doing beautifully. They've since moved to Florida. But that was scary. And yet the triplets (laughs) was amazing. That is crazy. So cool. And as I said, the next grant deadline September 5th, and the one okay. after that, April 2nd. So September 5th, and you notify people in November, is that what you said? September 5th is the deadline. Committees start looking at the applicants. We say four to six weeks mm-hmm. after. Um, we try our best to make it four. Mm-hmm. We have a hard time giving any status updates during that time. It's kind of don't call us, we'll call you. If we have questions, somebody put something in the application that just we have a question about, we'll call them or we'll email and ask them to clarify something. But we try to announce everything within four weeks. We call those people who Um, We want to choose as recipients. We sometimes need more information. We sometimes do Skype interviews. And we notify everybody definitely within six weeks. Wonderful. Well, uh, good luck to all of my listeners out there. (laughs) (laughs) And hopefully many people We're not in competition. Everybody apply. That's all. (laughs) Or donate. That's important. Or donate. Yes, Yes. please. Especially if you you have any personal relationship with anybody that's been through this, you know what it's like. And And we're happy that on our new website, there is a page dedicated to how you can help. Oh, good. And it doesn't matter if you can give $5 or $10 or you want to have your friends donate for your birthday or for your child's birthday or for a shower or whatever. But there are a whole list of ideas on the website. Um, You can even run a marathon for us. Mm -hmm. I'll do that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'll watch. I'll cheer you on from the sidelines. (laughs) I can maybe do a hike. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the hike does sound fun. It does, yeah. Pamela, thank you so much for coming and talking to us. Uh, Thank you for having me. And what you're doing is such, it's so incredible. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks, Amanda. Thank you, guys. Okay, listeners, you know what you have to do. If you want to apply, go to babyquestfoundation.org and get that application in by September 5th. And start working on it now because there are a few pages in there that your doctor needs to fill out and they may need a couple weeks to do it. Okay, get going. Now, if you're not applying for a grant but you want to give to the foundation, you can do that too, babyquestfoundation.org. Want to find BabyQuest Foundation online? You can find them on Facebook at BabyQuest Foundation, Instagram at BabyQuest Grants, and Twitter at BabyQuest Grants. Thank you again, Pamela, and thank you, Dr. Winkler, for the IUIs and all the information, and thank you to you guys for listening. If you want to reach me, you can call me at 323-741-1818. You can text me at the same number. You can email me at spermcast at gmail.com. Or you can find me on social at Spermcast. Want to have access to all kinds of juicy content about me? Then go to patreon.com forward slash Spermcast and subscribe for a dollar a month or $30 a month, whatever you want. Oh, speaking of Patreon, I got to thank my new subscribers. Sandy Newton, Scott Fugger, Bessie Green, and Ashley Binder, Abby. I think I already said those once, but hey guys, thank you again. You have literally helped me get by this year with all these different expenses that I never saw coming. So thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, I'm going to leave you now, but don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Love you. Bye. He could be balding, bearded, shorter, tall, funny, 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. <laughs> 